Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and we are joined by Canada's hardest working economist, Eric LaSalle, Chief Economist at RBC Global Asset Management. Eric, welcome. Thank you very much. Hi. We can't, uh, the, the, we, again, it's an audio podcast, thank goodness for us, but uh, they, they can't see you. You uh, The hardest working economist in Canada looks like he's been shoveling snow or chopping wood or something this morning. You've been, you've been working hard this morning uh, on non-economics? I was, I was shoveling snow. That's not why I'm wearing a plaid shirt. But nevertheless, yes. Uh, yeah, we get a lot of snow in Toronto these days. <laughs> well, you can wear a plaid shirt to dig into some big economic numbers like we got this morning. Jobs reports in Canada and the U.S. What's there? So kind of surprising numbers on, on both ends a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I don't know what the forestry numbers were, though. Referring back to the plaid shirt, uh, but yeah, in terms of the numbers, well, I mean, two hundred thousand jobs lost in Canada in January—that's a big drop. Now, let the record show that was the Omicron month, wasn't it? And so we, we knew there was going to be some serious economic weakness coming along. We also know it's a, a temporary phenomenon, and so uh, I think still some disappointment. The loss was was that great, uh, but nevertheless, uh, some losses had been expected, and, and and the narrative does fit together. So, for instance, when you dig into the sectors. Uh, it was all service sector job losses. Those are those high touch service sector jobs that are so affected by lockdowns. And, and in fact, you, you know, accommodation and food services lost 113,000 jobs by itself. So essentially restaurants wow. got closed in a number of places. And, and, and there you have it in the numbers. Uh, information, culture, recreation was down 48,000. Retail down 26,000. Like in a nutshell, that was the loss. And so it, it squares quite precisely with uh, with what was uh, not permitted temporarily in the month of January. Uh, conversely, the goods sector actually generated 23,000 jobs. So that that aspect of the recovery uh, continued. And I think there's reason to expect as rules have become much less strict uh, in late January and into early February that we should be getting most, if not all of these jobs back uh, over, over the next month or, or, or two uh, at, at the least. Uh, and I guess a couple other things to look at. Technically, the loss was even a little bigger than it looked like. So you lost 200,000 jobs. It's 1% of employment. So never good when 1% of workers lose their jobs in a single month, I will, I will admit. Uh, the number of hours work was actually down by 2%, so twice as much. And so, huh? again, you know, some people just not being able to go into work uh, for, for different reasons. Uh, and you know, lockdowns being a big part, but, but also being sick. We've talked before, I think, about how labor supply has been affected by Omicron, just the sheer number of people getting sick. In fact, Stats Canada reported that one in 10 workers were absent from work at some point due to illness or disability over the span of January. Just so you know, normal might be six or seven percent, but still, but a third more people weren't able to work even when the jobs uh, existed for them. So all sorts of sort of messy things going on in the the numbers. Uh, unfortunately, unsurprisingly, Canada's unemployment rate went up as a result of all of that. So we went from a 5.9, uh, a happy 5.9, which I would have described as being pretty much, you know, at potential, about as good as it gets sustainably, uh, unfortunately, retreating to 6.5%. So we should get that back fairly soon, but it was a, it was certainly a, a, a weak month. So that, that's the takeaway for Canada. Um, U.S. you'd think would be similar. There were maybe rhymed a tiny, tiny bit, but really more differences and similarities. Yeah. Uh, and so, for instance, the U.S., A, generated jobs, B, generated 467,000 jobs, which is a, a pretty big number. Uh, and so, in fact, it was ahead of, I believe it was ahead of every economist forecast yes. for the month. So it tells yes. you how big the number is when not a single person uh, got, got it right. It also tells you sometimes there's statistical gremlins in there too when that happens because you know, we <laughs> yes. do have certain hints as to what the numbers should be and uh, apparently those hints were not sending us in this direction this month. Um, so the Omicron damage not as big for the U.S. That's the takeaway. 
that makes sense. The U.S. really didn't lock down, did they? Everybody got to keep going to restaurants for the most part and, and the like. And so that, that makes sense that it's a, a milder hit. In fact, an all but invisible hit. That That is itself a bit surprising, but still less damage made sense. Uh, amazingly, retail sales, retail services, employment up, accommodation services up, food services up. So uh, they didn't see a big hit there. Uh, they also had some big upward revisions for the prior few months. So in the yes. month of January, actually, is when they generally do kind of the one-year review. And sometimes they make big discoveries. Like, you know, usually they're, 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 twiddle, they're tweaking the numbers for the prior month or two. But in January, you sometimes get some pretty massive ones. Um, they're saying they found an extra 709,000 jobs made just in the last two months compared to what they previously <laughs> thought. So that's that's always nice when you find those in the, you know, un, under the under the, the couch cushions, I guess. Uh, and so that that's a happy thing. Um, interestingly, because of all that upward revisions, we can still say this job creation was slower than the last couple of months. And so, you know, at the margin, yeah. I guess it's a bit weaker than it might have been. But still, it's a good report. Their unemployment rate for technical reasons went from 3.9 to 4. But still, it's, it's a good uh, report there. I think um, we're seeing considerable wage pressure still to no one's surprise. Sure. So the, 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 per, the hourly earnings year over year is up from 4.9 to 5.7. So uh, a lot of strength. Now, the debate, I think, for markets is, is this a good thing or a bad thing, though? Because, of course, we, we yeah. generally like strong economic activity, and it yeah. speaks to consumer spending potential and things like that. But equally, of course, here we are also focused on central banks and raising rates. And when you get a strong number like this, and it seems like the U.S. just brushed off Omicron, uh, that is a hawkish implication for central banks. And so markets are feeling at, at best mixed, I would say, about, about this result just because of what it might mean for central banks. So, so do do you think it really it, it it does a lot to change the view of the Fed, or or is just just another data marker, and it's going to take the next, I, I guess, next months, which is going to come before the next Fed meeting, where they're likely to raise rates, uh, before you really know how much this changes anything with respect to their where, where they're taking things. Yeah, I, I tend to take a pretty methodical approach and just say, well, you know, one important data point that's strong is, is incrementally more hawkish, but it, it, I don't think it's the straw that breaks any kind of Campbell's back here and forces them to, to do something that they, they wouldn't have. I mean, the market was already thinking there was probably a U.S. rate hike coming in mid-March, and I think that's probably still fair. I guess tongues are wagging a little more about could they raise by 50 basis points to begin Um I guess never say never, but it, it's quite unusual for central banks to raise by that much. I personally think it would be not a desirable message to send as as the starting gun of of a tightening cycle. And if you know, really, if, if they felt that way, they should have been going in in January. So I, I'd be quite surprised if they did anything other than a, a 25 basis point rate hike as as it stands right now. Um, you know, Omicron did less damage, but again, you know, the suspicion was always Omicron was going to be you know four or six weeks of pain followed by you know, a month or two of rapid recovery. And so less pain probably means less rapid recovery, and economy is probably not going to be in all that different a place in mid March than. It would have been even without Omicron. So, so it, does does it change your, your your forecast for the year in terms of economic growth in Canada or the U.S. or again just just another data point that's kind of mixed in with everything else you were seeing and brings you to the same spot that you were before. I mean, so not that different in the end. I mean, we were just playing with some of the GDP numbers. We have our, our big quarterly internal summit is next week. Yes, and so it's, yes. it's always nice to have fresh numbers for that. And, you know, before this number, I was initially thinking maybe I need to revise down my Q1 figure for the U.S. a little bit, not so much because I was seeing bad things, but because the, the Q4 number came out so strong and a lot of it was inventory accumulation. And there's normally a an offsetting effect the next quarter. You have a big build, there's less of a build, and, and it, you, you take it away. Um, I must say, 
with the employment numbers that just came in, it no longer makes sense to take anything off that first quarter. So we're actually end up pretty similar to where we started. So I guess that's the takeaway there. Um, you, clearly, Canada has suffered in the first quarter. We are already budgeting though for a, a decline in Canadian Q1 GDP. So we're, we're, I think we're mo- so we're mostly okay. I think I think we're, this is not out of the realm of expectations as much as the U.S. was a little strong and and Canada was a, was a little weak. I suppose the Bank of Canada maybe feels good about itself not having raised rates in January to some surprise. And I still think it would have made sense to be honest to raise in January, but but still, at least they could say there was a weak job number in there somewhere that, that maybe held them back. But you know, it's still the case. You, you look at the most recent business outlook survey for Canada, and that's run by the Bank of Canada, looks out a year, surveys businesses, and they have the most enthusiastic hiring plans over the next year they've had in the history of the series. They also have the most enthusiastic CapEx plans. And so, you know, some things can get in the way of that. And rate hikes are one of those things, of course. But nevertheless, I, I don't see anything to think that, that the labor market is going to be weak for any sustained period of time in Canada. So, so, so Eric, we, we talked a lot on in, in, in previous uh, visits that you've had about the, the Fed and Bank of Canada, and obviously it, 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 we're here in Canada. What the Bank of Canada doing is the most important, and certainly the Fed is dictating a lot of, uh, of, of the direction of what the, the, the Bank of Canada is going to do. But let's look abroad a little bit because there's, 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 it's a big world. And there's other central banks who are also making decisions around what to do in their economies. And we've, uh, we just saw re- reports this week or updates this week from Bank of England, European Central Bank. What do we see going on there? What's different? What's the same? Mm-hmm. Where do you see them going for the remainder of the year? Yeah, so uh, I mean, certainly in the same general direction is the main answer. And so developed world central banks are now in the business of tightening. And 2022 seems likely to be that year for for most of the major players. Uh, I should say China doing something very different altogether. They're cutting rates. It's its <laughs> own story. So we'll set that aside. Um, but, uh, you know, in some cases, it's just that the economic situation is different. So, for instance, in in Europe, I mean, to begin with, there's this longer history of, of deflationary forces. And so they frankly don't mind a little pip of inflation just to get rid of that damaging assumption that that predated and people were expecting too little inflation. So their thinking is a little bit different there. It's fair to say Europe has also been more aggressive when it comes to containing COVID outbreaks and things. So they've suffered a bit more economic damage. Uh, Their speed limit's lower. And so just a a neutral policy rate would be less. There's a reason they went into this with a lower policy rate than anybody else. And so Europe is a little bit different. And up until quite recently, they were saying they didn't think they'd be raising rates at all in 2022. And and now it seems they're signaling they likely will. It's, it's not so much they've said that, but they've no longer said they won't. I guess that's it. They used to say no hikes in 2022, and Lagarde refused to say that in the most recent press conference, which 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 is telling, I think. Uh, the Bank of England, I mean, pretty similar setup to the likes of the U.S. and Canada. The difference being Bank of England's raised rates twice now. They've raised rates by 25 basis points on two occasions. I would struggle to say there's a again, a big economic difference that would motivate that. I think it's more of just a philosophical one, which is, you know, the Bank of England never went quite to zero like in the U.S., so their, their tolerance for going low was a little bit less and just their their, their balance of risks, they're, they're, they're less willing to tolerate a period of high inflation. So it's more about the central bank response function, that's the technical term, as opposed to the, the state of the economy itself. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I suspect these central banks will end up at a fairly similar policy rate level. And, and uh, we're, we're talking about rates that are in the realm of, of, of 1% or, or low ones, perhaps at the end of 2022, regardless of which of those central banks 
X Europe that we're talking about. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a year of tightening. And I take some solace, though, which is that the, the UK has done this twice now and the world hasn't ended. Now, the UK isn't the US and the US has a special place in markets, imaginations and centrality in terms of its, its economic importance. But, um, you know, rate hikes can, can, can be OK. I, I will admit, as we think about rate hikes for this year, uh, you know, in, in general, they're fine and they're associated with further growth. And we can even plug in the numbers and say if a central bank were to raise rates four times and do a little quantitative tightening, maybe that subtracts 0.6% off the year's growth, which is, you know, it's yeah. a real hit, but it's not guaranteed recession territory. It's far from it, in fact. Um, but equally, it would be fair to say that the, the particular setup to this one isn't perfect in the sense that, you know, markets tend to be particularly tolerant of rate hiking when the rate hikes are because the economy is too strong. And in this case, it's more because inflation is too high. So it's not it's not the preferred of the two scenarios, but it's a, you know, certainly a reasonable situation to be raising rates. And um, you know, we, we, we can say as well that I don't think there's a policy error being made in rate hikes. That's an important consideration. Is it just a mistake to raise rates? I don't think so. That That's good. Uh, however, maybe we've revealed a mini policy error in retrospect. In other words, oops, maybe they should have been a little more serious about inflation over the second half of last year. And so they're fixing it. They're not breaking it. They're fixing that problem. But nevertheless, ooh, uh, there was a little problem that emerged that didn't get dealt with at the at the time. And then I guess as well, it does feel as though central banks have pivoted with some urgency, haven't they? And so suddenly they're 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 talking multiple rate hikes and the market is speculating uh, consecutive meetings or, or, or more than 25 at a go. And I'm not convinced we'll get those two things. But uh, nevertheless, there's a little bit of an urgency to central banks making the pivot. And so, you know, it's better when central banks are moving slowly as opposed to fast. So there are a couple challenging things in there, but I, I would still struggle to say anything less than a, a, a decelerating recovery c- c- comes out of that. And, and and so the you know I, I'm out right now. I'm I'm talking to a lot of uh, investors and and investment advisors, and 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 the question they have is inflation. So we haven't talked about inflation, I think, for 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 a couple of visits. Where, where are we at with inflation in your view right now? We've seen the peak. Uh, is and and has anything that's happened make you think that the inflation is going to persist at these levels longer than you expected before? Or the exact opposite, that, uh, that perhaps with what we're seeing and what's likely to happen, are, are, are we going to be surprised how quickly things return back to normal again, assuming that the pandemic is the worst of the pandemic, the very least, is, is behind us? Right. Yeah. You, you always have to make some assumptions to that effect, unfortunately. Yes, uh, yes. So, uh, I mean, inflation is extremely high. As we all know, it's it's you know 5 to 7%, loosely speaking, across much of the developed world. So that's not a, a familiar level. Uh, we do continue to expect some moderate decline over the coming year. I wouldn't say there's a sudden stop where inflation just snaps back completely to normal, but we expect, a, you know, I wouldn't say steady, but we expect a, a deceleration in inflation over this year. Uh, a couple things motivate that. I mean, I, I would say one uh, is we are able, we're very lucky to be able to track some real-time measures. There are some services out there that trawl the internet for prices. And of course, every grocery store has prices and gas stations post prices on the internet. It's quite amazing what you can get. You can get car prices. Like these are very sophisticated bits of analysis that occur. And I can say that we're not seeing those measures raw. I mean, I should say the year-over-year measure has stabilized for those, if not come down yes. a little bit. And so we're seeing some evidence of peaking going on, which is promising. Not not a active deceleration, but but not further acceleration. So that, that's quite a promising thing just in terms of the the trend. Uh, I I can say that we think 
I would say so far incorrectly, but and, and I shouldn't even say we, I'll say I think, I don't think I can speak for the resource team precisely, but I'm assuming oil prices go down somewhat over the span of 2022. And it's, it seems logical. That's what the futures market predicts. And, uh, you know, the, the, the credible forecasters think oil supply should be exceeding oil demand in the not too distant future. And you see lots of reports of, of shale oil starting to crank up again, having been very sleepy for a while. So it makes sense to me if oil prices come down, that should be a deflationary force. Even if you're skeptical of that, as long as it doesn't keep rising, that, that ceases to be an inflationary force, of course. Uh, and then we do expect supply chain problems to start getting better. Businesses are complaining less. In fact, I was talking with one of our, our European portfolio managers recently, and he was indicating that the companies he tracks are reporting a significant improvement on that front. Uh, can't say I see it in a lot of numbers, but nevertheless, I, I am hearing that as well myself in terms of what businesses are saying and it would make sense here we are now past christmas past chinese new year uh working our way through omicron which has had some supply chain issues and i, I normally q1 is a month of, of great healing for supply chains that's when people buy the fewest things on average so i, I think we're going to see some improvements in the next few months and i think that's going to remove some inflation force uh the reason i don't predict a snap back to two percent or, or or below normal inflation would just be i do think wage pressure is probably stick around for a bit. So that's one of the forces that prevents inflation from completely normalizing. And again, you know, U.S. wage growth is almost 6%, um, which, by the way, means everyone got a 1% pay cut over the last year. So let's not overstate how fast <laughs> that wage growth is. Yes. Uh, but nevertheless, nominally, it is fairly fast. And I'm assuming it sticks around uh, at, at least for another year. Uh, and so, yeah, the inflation should become less high, we think. Uh, and we were doing work recently as well, just to bore everyone, you know, 1970s versus today, similarities, differences. Yeah. And of course, there are some similarities, you know, lots of fiscal spending now, lots of fiscal spending, Vietnam War type spending in some cases then. And, you know, maybe a little bit of politicization of central banks both times. Uh, this go around, it seems like uh, the focus is a little less on inflation and you know, we don't have a, a you know, PhD in economics running the Fed and, you know, these sorts of things. It's, it's maybe a, li a little bit less of a firm footing uh, than before, uh, th though not to a problematic extent. But the differences were, were even bigger. I mean, we're not coming off a gold standard that had previously dominated. So people didn't know what to think about inflation coming out of that. And this time around, we have pretty anchored inflation expectations. And uh, gee, what else? I mean, the demographic set setup is completely different. You had baby boomers entering the workforce and massive, ultimately inflationary implications as the population grew so quickly and people spent money and were in the opposite scenario uh, this go round. And uh, I think a number of other important differences such that the balance of risks is still that we're not uh, transitioning into some structurally high inflation environment. Maybe that's where I'll, I'll leave the inflation comments. Yeah, so 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 just there, and and, and listening to uh, uh, Jerome Powell and his his, uh, his press conference after after the release this this past month, uh, and talking about the the concern of inflation expectations changing, which is which is one of the key drivers of future inflation, or, or you know when you when you when that when that expectation in in consumers and businesses embeds, and they're expecting those higher prices down the road. Do you do you do you think we're still in a good spot in terms of have they have they corralled inflation expectations enough or is that a worry? For right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a focal point. So I would say when we look at inflation expectations over the next year, they're high. I mean, to no one's surprise, it makes sense. Inflation probably is going to be a little high over the next year. Um, makes me a little nervous that inflation expectations over the next five years are higher than we're used to. So we have seen some movement there and it is toward the higher end of normal. So let's acknowledge that. I do take some solace that if you look beyond that, so years, you know, six through 10, which sounds awfully far away, but nevertheless, that would might be the standard definition of truly long-term inflation expectations past 
past any kind of intelligent comment you could make about the business cycle. Who knows what, what's happening six years from now? Um, those expectations have gone up, but they're still very pedestrian. They look normal. They're lower than they were for much of the last decade. And so I would say I don't think the, the genie's completely out of the bottle here, but uh, but it, 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 it slipped a little bit over the, the short and medium term. And so uh, this is one of the reasons, it's, it's the reason really central banks are raising rates. They're going to do their best to, to bash that expectation back, back down. Uh, so uh, again, the bottom line is I don't think we're in for a structurally higher inflation environment. I don't, I don't see why we would be. And so out of all these things we discussed, what, what is the one thing, the one number you'd key in on that would suggest that this inflation is going to persist longer than, than you initially expected? Oh, goodness. That's, I mean, I guess one would be oil's gone further than I initially expected. Yeah, yeah. That's been part of yeah. it. Uh, I guess one would just be when you talk to businesses, they... I don't know if pricing power is quite the right term, but they basically said any cost increase they face, they're passing it along to, to consumers. And that's not always the case. They're not always in a strong enough position to do that. And so as I think about wage growth or maybe remaining robust for the next year, well, guess what wage growth becomes? That becomes higher prices if the, if the company isn't going to eat uh, any of that. And so there there is, unfortunately, a feedback mechanism that could keep inflation going a little longer just on that, that basis. Now, that could change, you know, to the extent that consumers become less enthusiastic to spend, say, in a scenario. Well, guess what? businesses suddenly are all scrambling for market share and no longer get to set the price they want. So that that, that could end quickly. It's hard to say. Uh, but as it stands right now, that's one of the enablers of inflation sticking around a bit longer. Yeah, well, I, I, I know uh, I'm going to be paying more for the uh, for the old Amazon Prime. I already know uh, we know that off the uh, off the Amazon announcement uh, a couple of days ago. So. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, prices are prices are heading higher and every time we go to the pump. So, Eric, uh, thank, thanks as always. Thanks for spending so much time with us today. You're an economist and you're OK. And, uh, and, and you're not. Well, and you're hopefully... okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, we'll check in with you next month. Thanks, Eric. Thanks a lot. Bye. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management, Inc., for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.